Okay, if you would, please open up to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 in your New Testament. I'll be reading Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His Word and were baptized, they were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant Word to our souls. Let's pray. Father, help me as a pastor, as a teacher, unfold this text, which is my main job. To unfold what is there, let us see it. And this morning, allow us to revel in the application of this text in these three baptisms. To the glory of Jesus' name, and the rejoicing in the eternal salvation of Christopher and Michael and Alyssa. Do it, Lord. Amen. The greatest need for every person in the world today, for every person in this room, is not food or clothing, or shelter, or education. The greatest need of every person in here is God's forgiveness of your sins. In this very first Christian sermon that Peter preached, and we have worked our way through over the last two weeks, what he has done is demonstrated from the Scriptures and from his own and the other apostles and the other early believers, their eyewitness testimony of Jesus' resurrection of the dead, therefore proclaiming the Jesus from Nazareth that you, my fellow Jews, murdered. He is the Messiah and He is Yahweh, Lord. And then Peter's message we see reached the hearts, not of everybody, but it reached the hearts that day of many and caused them to ask, how do we get our sins forgiven? Look at it again, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, 
What shall we do? And then Peter answers them in verse 38 by telling them how to get what they desperately need, and thus he shows us what it is they desperately need. Forgiveness from God and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And his words came to many of them as the greatest possible news they had ever heard in their life. And 3,000 of them believed and were saved. And then they were baptized that day. And this morning, we are sharing in the joy of three persons publicly confessing their faith in Jesus Christ, that He is mine and He is my treasure, and they're doing it through the biblical way called baptism. We'll come back to that. Back to the text for a moment and what we just saw. If you understand the working of God in saving people, through the preaching of the gospel, then you should not at all be surprised that the way Luke put it. Many of them were cut, sliced, pierced in their hearts through the preaching because Peter was preaching the Word of God. He started with his text in Joel and he unfolded it. And then in Psalm 16 and then Psalm 110 and then his own and the other's personal life experience testimony that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And many of us know the New Testament in Hebrews 4.12 says this about the Word of God, the Holy Scripture. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the human heart. And so what we see on this day of Pentecost was the work of the Holy Spirit who picked up through Peter the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. And the Spirit of God mercifully cut to the heart many who were there. And thus they cried out sincerely, What must we do? This being cut to the heart produced in about 3,000 souls that day a felt need. See, when people, they get to the point of sincerely crying out, tell us, please, how do we get forgiven of our sins? That means they feel that deep down. And that's what causes them to say, what do we do? How do we get it? And then Peter lets us know in this passage what it is that they need. That we all need. 
the Christopher and Michael and Alyssa need. Verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They needed forgiveness from God for their sins. And they needed the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every human being right now in this world is in need of God's forgiveness. As Romans 3.23 clearly says, all, everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Apostle Paul spells out our plight very clearly in the New Testament book called Ephesians. Chapter 2, starting with verse 1, he puts it this way, talking to those who have now come to saving faith in Jesus. They, they saw the message of the Gospel as the greatest possible news, and they're changed. And he says, yes, that's not how you started in this world. He says, and you were, though, dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we all were by nature children of God's wrath. Just like the rest of mankind. And so Christopher and Michael and Alyssa, they were created by the only God, the holy God. And they were born into this world as sinners, as wrongdoers, as lawbreakers, and the commandments of our Creator given in Scripture, the moral law is a mirror to their very personal and intimate sin against their Maker. And they need forgiveness. And we all need forgiveness. This is at the core of this passage. We live in 2018. And our culture at large, our elementary schools and high schools and universities and pop culture and mass media, everywhere you turn, we are breathing the air of relativism in our day, which preaches the exact opposite of what we just read. It is, it is preaching to the souls of people in our day, you are the end all. You are ultimate. Self 
and self-esteem is ultimate. There are no ground rules outside of you. You have your own truth. Make it up. So what if it's different than another's truth? Because there is no such thing as objective truth. We suck it in all day long in our age. It is another way of saying the biblical worldview needs to be destroyed. And the mantra goes, the way that you're going to get through this life and be as you know, happy as you maybe possibly could be is you need to stop measuring yourself by external standards of right and wrong and morality particularly the standards of the God of the Bible, but instead make yourself, make your feelings, make your natural inclinations the measure of what is good, of what is acceptable. And above all, get rid, get rid of negativity, especially the negativity of the threat that there is a God who judges people based upon His holiness and His commands. It's everywhere. And what is so horrific about this postmodern relativism, this no truth but my truth world that we are living in, is that it eradicates the beauty of God's grace in forgiveness of actual sin. It sounds so good. It sounds so kind and wonderful on the surface to say that God has no laws really. There are no real standards. And it just creeps into the church too. Even for us Christians. There are no expectations. No commandments. And definitely no eternal judgment when you die. But instead, God is there simply if you want to use Him to affirm you, wherever you're at, to affirm your choice of lifestyle. If there is no God, okay? Because there is no truth then. If there is no God, there is no evil, there is no good, there is no right, there is no wrong, there are no standards, and there is no judgment to come. But if there is a God who created us, then this postmodern relativism, philosophical worldview of our day, it destroys what each and every soul in this room desperately objectively really needs God's forgiveness forever. Wiping away your guilt and your sins that stood against you. These people in verse 37 were cut to the heart. Their consciences were deeply troubled in what they were hearing because they knew, 
I'm responsible, as Peter let them know. I killed the one who is the Lord and Messiah. They knew. They didn't think it the day before, but now they knew. I was very religious, but I was against God. What they desperately needed and what Christopher and Michael and Alyssa desperately needed was forgiveness of their sins. And the great news of the Gospel that Peter just preached right before this was that the Creator of the universe planned before He created anything, predetermined that His eternal Son would become a human being in order to be slaughtered on a bloody cross because of the sins of all who would believe in Him. And He would absorb that punishment and that God then raised Him from the dead. And thus, forgiveness of sins while God's justice is upheld is offered to anyone who wants them. Receive this Savior. And then through water baptism this morning, we're going to be dramatizing that Chris and Michael and Alyssa have taken heed to verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so, this baptism it portrays forgiveness of sins, and it also portrays one's coming into union with Jesus Christ by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Verse 38 again. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that means Michael and Christopher and Alyssa, that means that from your initial crying out, whenever that was, when you were saved, when saving faith came alive to you, it is the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit who is God. And throughout your walk in this life, to be working through you and in you and protecting you. Now, let's go back to Peter's answer to the question, okay? How do, I, how do I get this? How do I get my sins wiped away and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? His answer is concise in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. First, he says, repent. Metanoia woodenly means to turn, to make a change. So repentance, it doesn't merely mean 
feel regret bad over your sins. Oh, it means that. And that is precisely in the text what being cut to the heart is driving at. An overwhelming sense of our sins in light of the truth of the Gospel. But repentance as a whole, along with that regret over our sin, it means following through on that conviction and turning around. Changing your mind, changing your affections, your heart, in order to live and walk differently. To walk with God by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the resurrected Lord Jesus said to the Apostle Paul in Acts 26, verse 18. He says, Paul, I am sending you to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles, in order to open their eyes so that they may... Hear the, here it is. Hear, hear it. So that they may turn... Turn from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are separated by faith in Me. That repentance there is turning from darkness to light of truth of the Gospel. From Satan, the great deceiver, the author of postmodern relativism, to God. Repentance is an about Face, a changing of direction of the way you live. Now it's towards God. Who else has the words of life? Jesus unfolded it most concisely with this tiny little parable by saying, the kingdom of God is like a treasure that a man found in a field. Treasure. It wasn't his field, though. And so what he did, he went home and sold everything he had because of the treasure to buy the field. Oh, it's not a, a work or i got to better myself. It is a vision, a sight that is miraculous. That this message that Peter preached about the suffering and the dying Jesus who was resurrected from the dead and offers absolute forgiveness is the most wonderful treasure imaginable. And thus they go home, sell it all. Their whole life is changed. This is it. It's just a, it's the repentance that one now turns. And then Peter adds, repent 
and be baptized. There was a very, very close connection in the minds of the apostles between saving faith and water baptism. The idea of an unbaptized Christian was foreign to the early church because they just assumed that every true Christian would be in an obedient believer and thus submit to the waters of baptism. Remember, here's Peter on the day of Pentecost preaching this, gives his answer. It was only ten days earlier when Peter was on the Mount of Olives right before the Lord Jesus ascended. He heard Jesus say to him and the other apostles these words, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so the Apostle Peter, he says to them, receive the forgiveness of your sins by repenting, by believing in the name of Jesus Christ. This is only one coin. Faith in the Gospel, in who Christ is, And the other side of the coin is repentance. You can't turn to Him without turning away from darkness. And then, you get baptized in order to signify what has happened inside of you by the Holy Spirit. And so Christopher and Michael and Alyssa, your personal Faith, trust in Jesus' death for your sins and the resurrection of the dead for the wiping out of all of your transgressions. It is essential and foundational to being saved. And then, and what you're going to do this morning, after that happens, you're baptized as the external expression in drama to the church who receives you of what has happened already in you. It is the drama of your forgiveness of sins and your being united to Jesus Christ. And then Luke sums up This section with verse 41. So those who received His Word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So, in about 10 minutes, we here at Sovereign Grace Fellowship will be baptizing Christopher Luros, Michael LeMay, and Alyssa Rooney. I want to turn to one other passage for a moment. Romans chapter 6. 
Because decades after this sermon on the day of Pentecost, the Lord Jesus had the Apostle Paul unpack and unfold. What is the meaning of this? Dunking in water and coming back up. And so first, as we're going to read, I want you to notice that Michael's and Chris's and Alyssa, what is happening here while they're being baptized is this drama. In other words, their baptism is their death. In the death of Jesus Christ. Start with verse 3. Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. Stop for a moment. So this means at least two things. In any of our valid baptisms as believers already, not as infants, our old, rebellious, unbelieving self died. It means that. And secondly, in this passage, it means that our future physical death, yes, every one of us in this room is dying and will die, it means that our future physical death will not have the same meaning that it would have had if Jesus had not died our death. In other words, if we had died without Christ having dying our death, then death would have been the horrific experience of entering eternal condemnation. But baptism portrays in the believer that's not me. His grace has come upon me. I see it. I believe. 2,000 years ago, he was butchered by God for me. I died with him. All my sin was punished there. So our baptism it portrays the work of the Holy Spirit in uniting us spiritually with Jesus Christ in His atoning death. In other words, we're united to Him spiritually so that His death becomes our substitution. And then Paul goes on to say, and not only that, we're united to Him spiritually so that His resurrected life, human life, and the sending of the Spirit becomes our new life. Read it, verse 4. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
we also might walk in newness of life. And so, when we see Christopher and Michael and Alyssa go under the water, they're not going to stay under the water of baptism. They will rise up out of the grave of the water. Because after death in Jesus comes new life. As the Apostle Paul declared for himself and for every Christian who would ever live, every believer, this is true. I have been Killed with Christ. Crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Here's the new life. But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live down here in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That newness of life is the life of ongoing faith and trust in Christ's death alone. It's the day-by-day trusting in God's promises given to us in Holy Scripture. And so as we baptize these three persons, what we're doing is portraying visibly and dramatically what happened to them when they were born again. What happened to them when they turned with their heart to Christ? The dead, God-hating, even though religious, rebellious, sinful nature died with Christ's death for their sin. And this is signified by them going down underneath the water. And at that same instance of conversion in new birth, God's life came into them, as Paul says, and raised them from the dead and seated them with Christ. And this is signified with them rising up out of the water. And this is what it means to be a Christian. To live our lives in the light of what our baptisms portray. This is going to be a glorious few minutes, at least for me. So let me give you a little instruction of what we're doing now. As, as the worship band comes up, we will be going through the aisles, passing out Holy Communion, the cup and the bread. And I got some children who are not yet baptized. They won't be partaking of it. So this is what we ask, that if you have come to saving faith, 
and been baptized after that, not as, not as a baby, and you know that you, you're a believer and you love Jesus, then feel free to, to take of the bread and of the cup. If not, just let it bypass like numbers of us in here will do. So then hold on to it because we will be partaking of communion together with these three baptizees. It will be their very first Holy communion with us. Okay, we got this. Let's go. Let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you for these moments that now still lay ahead and may the word of Christ which was just preached continue to do its work in our souls and in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to the glory of Jesus Christ, our wonderful Savior. Amen.